Our scripture passage this morning comes from Luke chapter 24, verses 50 through 53. So if you have your Bible or your bulletin, would you turn there this morning? We're continuing with our series on the Apostles' Creed. And naturally, last week on Easter, we heard about Jesus on the third day rising again from the dead. Which means that this week we're looking at the next two lines. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. In other words, we're looking at what's called Christ's ascension and his session in heaven. For the young worshipers with us this morning, I have a question for you. I want you to be able to answer the question, how did the disciples feel when Jesus ascended, when Jesus went up into heaven? How did the disciples feel? Hear now the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 24, verses 50 through 53. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, blessing God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, as we look into your word and see the great truths of the ascension and session of our Lord Jesus Christ, would you help us to come to know you, love you, and serve you more by your Spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. Growing up, we had many books that we liked to read before bedtime, and one of our favorites was a book called What Happened After. It was an old book given to my mother by her mother, And in this book, it basically took your average stories that everybody knows that normally end happily ever after and added another chapter or two. So what happened after Cinderella? What happened after Jack and the Beanstalk? What happened after the Three Little Pigs? And, you know, it was fun to to read those stories, but we knew that the original story didn't really need them. But you see, in many ways, we sometimes fall into viewing the ascension and session of Jesus as just part of the what happened after story like those stories that I just talked about. For one, we we might view them as non-essential, as optional, as not really having an effect in our daily life. Or maybe we'd rather not talk about the ascension because it makes us feel alone. The fact that Jesus is no longer on earth, but rather is in heaven. Or maybe the cynic in us thinks it's a very convenient way to say that Jesus rose from the dead, but now he's not around anymore. We think of those things sometimes when we think of the ascension and session. But God's word is clear. The ascension of Christ really happened. And he really, truly is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And we need to believe this. And we'll see why. You see, in order to understand what these beliefs mean, there are three facets to these things. They're talked about a lot in Scripture. So I'm going to boil it down to three things for us this morning. Three things that are also reflected in our passage in Luke And these are vindication, intercession, and kingdom expansion. The ascension and session of Jesus mean vindication, intercession, and kingdom expansion. So first, the ascension of Jesus and the fact that he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty is a vindication of who he is. What I mean by that is it proves Jesus to be who he said he was. It proves him to be true and for his work to have worked you might say. And that means that if I say he was proved right, that he spoke and promised this sort of thing. And he did, but actually we have to go all the way back to the Old Testament first to hear promises of the ascension. In Psalm 110, which is the most quoted passage in the New Testament that we heard this morning, 
David talks about, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Talking about this coming king greater than David that would rule. That's then taken up multiple times in the New Testament, especially in Acts 2, when Peter refers to it, talking about the ascension of Jesus. Psalm 68, 18 says, You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train. And Paul talks about that in Ephesians 4 and refers to that as being about Jesus. Daniel 7, 13 through 14, talks about one like a son of man ascending and being presented before the Ancient of Days and giving an everlasting kingdom that will never fade and never end. Also in the Old Testament, we see this modeled in Moses, who goes up, who ascends to Mount Sinai to dwell with God for 40 days. And Moses prophesied that a prophet greater than him would arise. So how would this prophet arise and ascend to be with the Lord? And so Jesus draws on all of this Old Testament language when he himself promises his own ascension. In John 6, after talking about how people need to eat his flesh and drink his blood, and people look at him like, what are you doing? You're, you're crazy. He says, do you take offense at this? What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The ascension is a vindication of who he is. In John 14 and John 16, he promises to his disciples that he's going to go to the Father, he's going to prepare a place for them, and pour out his Spirit. Those things don't happen without the ascension. In Matthew 26, he says to the high priest, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. That's a promise of his heavenly session and his return. And in John 20, post-resurrection, he says to Mary, I have not yet ascended to my Father. You see, without the ascension and session, Christ's words in these Old Testament prophecies are left hanging. And they make us question, is he really, said who, it really, is he really who he said he was and was going to do what he said he would do? But Christ did ascend and does sit at the right hand of the Father. Three New Testament passages describe the event itself of the ascension. The end of Mark, the beginning of Acts, and our passage in Luke chapter 24. Let me read verses 50 and 51 to us. And he, that is Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. So what is the disciples' response to this? The beginning of verse 52, and they worshipped him. You see, the disciples understood and they worshipped him because they understood this was a vindication of everything he said and who he was. They worship him because they know this means that he is being given all authority and power. Later in the New Testament, many authors will bring this idea of the ascended Christ up and talk about how he is now above the angels and has rule over all authorities, powers, dominions, names. Naturally, as we heard from Alex this morning, there is a humiliation that he had to go through, and therefore he has an exaltation. And the ascension and session of Jesus are part of what we call his exaltation. But those don't happen without his humiliation, without the cross. This vindication is also pictured for us brilliantly in Revelation chapter 5, when John starts to weep because he's in the heavenly throne room and there's a scroll that no one can open, and the elder says to him, weep no more. For the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, and so he can open the scrolls. And it talks about John seeing in the middle of the heavenly throne room a lamb standing as though it had been slain. This is the ascended Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. So after the ascension, and after, or sorry, after the resurrection, the ascension and the session of Jesus are the only fitting steps for this king. 
Let me give you an illustration. Uh, in the time of the New Testament, the Roman Empire had something that was called a triumph. When a military general won a great victory far from the city of Rome, he would get a letter saying that they were going to have a triumph in his honor. So he would return to the city of Rome. He would be paraded through the streets. They would give him a royal purple robe. He would essentially be king for a day. He'd be given a triumph. Right? This was a vindication of what he had just done, the victory that he had just won. This is what happens at the ascension. Christ has won the ultimate victory, not by killing his enemies, but by submitting to his own death. And then he ascends into the heavenly Jerusalem, not just to reign for a day, but to reign for all time. This is what the ascension means. So what does this type of vindication mean for us on a daily basis? Well, if Christ is proved true, then that means his work of redemption is complete. That means there's forgiveness for our sins. Yes, there's forgiveness in his work alone on the cross for us. It worked. We don't have to rest on how good we are, on our achievements, how many times we go to church, the number of Bible verses we know, right? We can rest on the finished work of Jesus. It's done. As he said himself on the cross, it is finished. Also, his vindication means that our lives should reflect the fact that we worship an ascended, vindicated Jesus. If someone were to watch the movie of our lives, would they see a vindicated, ascended Lord? If someone were to hear the words that we say, see the pictures we take, the posts we make, would they reflect the fact that Jesus rules on high and his authority is the supreme authority? Do our relationships reflect the fact that Christ, the true lover of our souls, lives in heaven on high? Does our work at home or at school or at the office reflect that we work not for men but for an ascended, risen Lord? So Christ's ascension and session mean his vindication. But second, the ascension and session of Jesus mean Christ's intercession. So where is Jesus now? We heard he ascended. Well, just as we heard last week, there was a real historical bodily resurrection. There was a real historical bodily ascension. He's no longer on earth. He's in heaven. And contrary to Belinda Carlisle, heaven is not a place on earth. He is in heaven, and that's present tense. You see, the creed, we have so much past tense about what Jesus did and some present tense about what he will do. But the one thing that's present tense, he sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That's what he is doing even now. And what is he doing? He's continuing his work as our great high priest, not in redemption, but in intercession. You see, he's interceding on our behalf. Let me read Romans 8, 33 and 34 for us. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. To understand this picture of priestly intercession, we need to go back to the Old Testament again, to the picture of the Old Testament Levitical priesthood. Because the high priest, once a year, would enter into the Holy of Holies, the very closest thing to the presence of God on earth, and he would make atonement for the people. He would first have to make sure he was clean, and then he would go in and make atonement for the people. But you see, because of the work of Jesus, he has offered himself once for all as a sacrifice, which means he enters into the Holy of Holies and stays there on our behalf. As we see in the, in the crucifixion, the temple curtain is torn in two, saying, you now have access to the very presence of God. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16, describes this work of intercession. For we do not have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can have access to the throne of grace. Christ our Lord sympathizes with us because he knows what it's like. He has a human body. And we can receive mercy and grace in our time of need. As uh, the Heidelberg Catechism puts it this way, our own flesh is in heaven. And Jesus pleads our cause. Think about this. The risen Lord Jesus Christ with his wounds is ascended and is seated at God's right hand, eternally in his presence forever. That's why 1 John says this, If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You see, the Father doesn't just tolerate us because Jesus is there. No, he actually planned this from eternity past. And he actually raises us up with him in Christ. Oswald Chambers puts it this way, At his ascension, our Lord opened the door to heaven, and he keeps it open for his people. And God will keep this door open. As Romans 8 continues working out the implications of this ascended Lord, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. No powers, no height, no depth, no anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Because he has ascended and he sits at the right hand of the Father. The Canons of Dort, which is a Christian document from 1618-1619, talks about the perseverance of the saints, the fact that, that God's people will make it to heaven by his power, and it connects it to the ascension. Listen to this. God's plan cannot be changed. God's promise cannot fail. The calling according to God's purpose cannot be revoked. The merit of Christ, as well as his interceding and preserving, cannot be nullified. And the sealing of the Holy Spirit can neither be invalidated nor wiped out. No wonder the book of Hebrews calls the ascension a sure and steadfast anchor to our souls. In our own passage, this is reflected by what the disciples feel and how they feel when Jesus ascends. Young and old worshipers alike, look at the second part of verse 52. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They had great joy at his ascension. With the ascension and session of Jesus, it means joy and comfort in our afflictions because Christ is interceding for us. Let me give you an illustration that helps us see the work of Christ. So uh, when I was in high school, I played a lot of soccer. My dad happened to be the high school coach at the high school I went to. Well, one day as a freshman, I was kicking around with some friends after school. Nobody was around. My dad wasn't around. And the ball rolled over uh, a road, a two-lane road. And I jogged over to get it. And as I turned back around, there's a bus driving down the road. And me, being the arrogant freshman I was, said to my friends, Hey, I'm going to chip the bus. So I kick the ball, it hits the bus. The bus driver slams on the brakes, and he comes running out at me. His face is so angry. He's yelling at me, and all I can do is just start talking and talking and talking. And now, what would you say in that situation? I said many things. You know, of course, I did say I'm sorry. I said I didn't mean to do it. But what I found myself saying from the very beginning over and over again was, My dad's the coach, my dad's the coach, my dad's the coach, right? Thinking, he can help me. Friends, this is Christ, our intercessor, in the throne room of heaven. He is our advocate, Jesus Christ, 
the righteous. So what does Christ's intercession then mean for us? Well, first, we don't pray to Mary. We don't pray to saints. Rather, we pray in Jesus because we know there's only one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. And for believers, this throne room is always open. You are always heard by your heavenly Father. What a blessing that is. You ever wonder, you're always heard by him. This means also, as Hebrews says, we can draw near with confidence. We can make full confessions of our sin because we know that we have an advocate who is righteous and has declared us righteous by his own work. That means we can fully confess, we can fully open up our hearts and minds to the Lord. And what a promise this is also in time of suffering. Because when we are in physical pain, emotional turmoil, and we get an unwanted diagnosis, right? When we have weeks of stress and distress, Christ in his human flesh is still speaking on your behalf before your heavenly Father. And he's preparing a place for you and will guide you there. Nothing can separate you from these things if you are in Christ. And if you're not a Christian, this is the hope that the gospel of a crucified and risen Jesus gives his people. And it's on offer for you this morning. So we need Christ's ascension and his session because it means Jesus' intercession on our behalf, which gives us comfort and joy. Well, third, the ascension and session of Jesus mean kingdom expansion. What do I mean by kingdom expansion? Well, let me ask you the question. Where does the growth of the New Testament church come from? Where do we see that expansion happen? The book of Acts, right? And the coming of the Holy Spirit and Pentecost. Well, when Jesus ascends at the very beginning of Acts, he promises the Spirit. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, if Jesus doesn't ascend, the Spirit doesn't come. And if the Spirit doesn't come, the kingdom does not expand to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, as we see throughout the book of Acts, and to the ends of the earth. So look at what the disciples do in our passage when Jesus Christ ascends. Verse 53, and they were continually in the temple blessing God. That's kingdom expansion language. They go to the synagogue and they continually bless God. They put themselves in places where through Christ's work and through the Spirit, God can expand his kingdom. And Ephesians 4 that we referenced already speaks of God giving gifts through the ascended Christ, right? These gifts come, as we know, also through the Holy Spirit. Alex had an excellent sermon on that at the beginning of the year. If you want to see more about how that works itself out. But through Christ as the ascended Lord, we're given gifts for the flourishing and expansion of his church. And we have to say the kingdom has expanded. We're here worshiping in Dallas, Texas, not in Jerusalem. The kingdom has expanded. Dr. Rebecca McLaughlin, in her book, Confronting Christianity, puts it this way. Christianity is the most diverse, multi-ethnic, and multicultural movement in all of history. It is difficult to see how that happens without Christ ascending on high and bringing the Spirit and giving the Spirit to his people. But also this kingdom expansion comes in our own hearts and minds. We heard a passage from Colossians already. Let me read it again for you. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
Dr. Harry Reader puts it this way, and I love this quote, Christ has finished the work of redemption, but he has not finished working on the redeemed. Christ has finished the work of redemption, but he has not finished working on the redeemed. Now, we see this in, in, in a place you might not expect. So as a church, as a denomination, the PCA, we have many documents to help us govern the church well. And one of those is called the Book of Church Order. And when you think about that, you might think of, that's what I want to read if I need to go to sleep at night, right? And you're not necessarily wrong. It talks about form of government, rules of discipline, directory for worship for the church. But it begins, the very first part of the preface talks about the fact that Christ is king and head of the church, and he has ascended and given these gifts for the governing of his church, right? Without the ascension, we don't have the church. We don't have kingdom expansion. And so this... this, this allows us to ask the question, what does this kingdom expansion look like in our own lives? As Colossians prompts us to ask, are we seeking the things that are above where Christ is or not? And how do we do that? Well, his spirit-inspired word tells us the things that are above, and we have the same spirit to help us. We are also given the community, the beautiful community of the church And that we serve each other with the gifts we've been given by the Spirit, but we also then submit to the gifts that God has given to others. Also, the disciples, as we saw, were continually in the synagogue blessing God, putting themselves in those positions. The question is, do we put ourselves in positions where by the Spirit God can expand his kingdom? Now, this this is going to look different for us. It's not going to be in the synagogue continually blessing God, but... At work or at school, at home, with our families, with our friends, are we putting ourselves in those positions to have those conversations? Right? We, we, when we hear the word bubble, we right now think of COVID. But COVID aside, do we put ourselves in a Christian bubble where we never have those opportunities? Also, when we share the gospel, how do we do it? Chuck Colson, talking about the ascension, says, this means that salvation is not just a system of mechanics, but rather it's a royal reality that Jesus truly has ascended and is ruling over all things. That affects how we share the gospel. That affects how our lives are lived. Also, because it's Christ's kingdom, powered by his spirit, it disarms us to witness not out of pride, but out of love. It's not about our perfect selves, but rather it's about a perfect ascended ruling Savior. So the ascension and session of Jesus mean kingdom expansion. And these things, vindication, intercession, and kingdom expansion, are all shown in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen is martyred for the faith. You see, while he's being interrogated, he looks up and he sees Christ seated at the right hand of the Father. He sees an ascended Lord, which helps him persevere in the midst of what's going on. Also, we see intercession. Because he prays to Christ for forgiveness of the men who are attacking him. That prayer is also answered two chapters later when Paul, who was Saul, who was there, becomes Paul. We also see kingdom expansion because after Acts chapter 7, the gospel goes out among the nations, Paul being one of the foremost in doing that. So we believe that Christ ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And these are not just optional what happened afterwards stories. No, we need them. They are integral parts of our faith. They show Christ's vindication. They give us comfort and joy in the midst of our affliction because of his intercession. And they both energize and authorize us for kingdom expansion 
by the Spirit. And so may all we do be done by the Spirit in the power of our ascended Lord, Jesus Christ, who is ruling and reigning in heaven, all to the glory of God the Father. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Father, thank you for the confidence to draw near before your throne, whether here in a service of worship, or in our cars, or at home, or at work, or at school, or we can always draw near, and for that we're thankful. Lord, would you give us by your Spirit that boldness to not only draw near to you, but also to draw near to those around us so that they might know the truth of an ascended, risen, resurrected Lord. May that influence all that we do by your Spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen.